0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to CF Online. Thank you for jumping in. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you have a Bible with you or you want to open that window on your screen or however you're doing it, you want to go to the book of Daniel. Uh, The book of Daniel, if you have trouble finding it, um, nobody's around, so you can look at the table of contents. You don't have to pretend uh, like you know what you're doing. But if you are looking for it, you're going to Psalms and then keep going to the right um, past Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of those. Um, right after Ezekiel, actually, is going to be Daniel. Uh, You might want to put a piece of paper, put a bookmark, something, dog ear a page, because we are going to be in the book of Daniel for a while um, over these next couple of weeks. So while you're turning there, I'd like to just thank everybody uh, for checking in and and caring for one another. Um, I've heard lots of great stories and accounts of people um, just making sure everybody's doing okay, Uh, that people are checking in on one another, um, sending texts and emails and calls and, um, all of those things. So thank you. Thank you for caring. Thank you for making sure that even in the midst of this while we're distant from one another um, our community is still um, being strengthened and encouraged. to Keep doing that. Keep checking on one another. Keep calling. Keep texting. Keep showing up on Zoom prayer meetings and things like that. Um, it's good. It's helpful. And it's necessary in these times. So thank you everybody. Um, so like I said we're going to be in Daniel um, today and we're going to do this for a little while. We're starting a new series Um, called The King in Chaos and uh, this was actually the plan pre-coronavirus pre-COVID-19. I wanted us to jump in because uh, for one um, this is a story, this is a book about faithfulness and and being intentional with our faithfulness right? Uh, despite everything else going on in the world this is still our 90 year anniversary as a church Uh, in which we are celebrating the fact that God has been faithful to Christian Fellowship Free Church for 90 years, um, that we've been able to care and love for this neighborhood for that long. And we've talked about how you don't just wake up at 90 years. You don't just wake up and happen to get there. It's intentional steps. It's day by day, year by year, faithful men and women being faithful to the gospel and, and decisions to care for this place and care to see the Lord proclaimed in this neighborhood for 90 years. And so one of the things we want to talk about throughout this year is taking steps, this step-by-step faithfulness, right? Um, and so that's part of why we uh, studied the, the names of God. That's why we, because we want to be growing in um, proclaiming Christ, and we want to grow in becoming Christ-like. And so that's why we did the Name of God series. If we're going to grow in making God known, if we're going to grow in our relationship with him, we've got to know who he is. So we did the Names of God series. And then we're going to do Daniel. We're going to do this story because, like I said, it's a kind of a case study of sorts of a person who knows God and he faithfully pursues him. In light of what Daniel knows and experiences about who God is, Daniel can live faithfully even when life gets chaotic. From what Daniel knows about God, it gives him strength to trust God in the chaotic times. It helps us to see what it looks like to actually intentionally be taking steps in our walk with God. So that was the original reason I wanted to do this, Uh, I wanted to study the book of Daniel. The second reason is, uh, you know, this is a look at what faithfulness to God can look like, but it's also a reminder to us that God is in control. And a phrase you are going to hear me repeat like 40 times this morning and a lot more over the next couple weeks is God is in control of everything all the time. And that is something that I want us to hold on to, cling to, and be very, very familiar with and trust and believe that God is in control of all things all the time. Because you see, faithfulness like Daniel, like what we're going to see, faithfulness to an impotent deity, to a useless force, that's pointless. That's not helpful. Without God's control and power and influence, the story of Daniel really doesn't have anything. It doesn't really go anywhere. But we're going to see God continuously being in control, even when Daniel's entire world, entire uh, viewpoint gets flipped upside down. We see God is in control, and not only is God in control, but he is making things to happen, putting things in place for his glory. God is always in control, no matter what the situation, no matter what is going on, God is always taking care of everything all the time. So uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Daniel 1. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in uh, to Daniel 1. So please um, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, uh, God, for the sunshine and, and the warmth. Um, God, we thank you that we can do this, that even uh, with everything going on in the world, we have the ability to even gather virtually, to connect on Zoom meetings, to uh, send texts and calls and emails, to be able to, to connect and, and stay connected to one another. God, it is from you that we receive um, not only the Holy Spirit, but your love and grace and hope. Lord, we ask that you would give us a renewed hunger and thirst for you, a deeper desire to know you more. Lord, we ask that you would grant us health of body and mind and spirit, that we can love you with our whole strength and with glad hearts that we can live into the life you have provided for us and called us to live and that we might live to glorify you. Lord, I pray that in this season, in this time, Lord, we ask for your mercy. We ask that you would put this virus to an end, that you would stop it in its tracks, that it would be done, that there would be uh, no more spread of it, that there would be mass healing around the world, that uh, that you would move in such a way where there is no doubt that it is you on the move, Lord. We ask that you would... Um, Stop this, uh, that you would heal, that you would show yourself and just how much power you have, just your control uh, and your grace and your mercy in this. Lord, we pray for those who um, this time of stay-at-home orders and isolation and quarantines uh, is hard, hard financially, hard uh, emotionally and mentally and spiritually and physically. Lord, we pray for those who um, in the midst of this isolation have uh, really, wrestled and are wrestling with depression and struggling with uh, how to just get to the next day. Lord, we ask that you be you, that you be a comfort, that you be um, powerful and, and gentle and kind to them, that you would care for them, Lord. God, we ask for uh, the many people suffering in a variety of ways from those who have been afflicted by this to those who have lost loved ones, to those who are, um, as I said, isolated, who have lost jobs. Lord, there is a lot of hurt and suffering in this world. Um, God, we ask that you move in this place that you move in your world, in your creation. And Lord, we ask that you would embolden the, the Christians in the world, that you would embolden your church, that you would give us opportunities, that you have. Uh, that you would give us the boldness to step into those opportunities to be your hands and feet, to be the light of the world you have made us to be. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Uh, we're going to read Daniel. Uh, I'm going to read a chunk, and then we are going to go back and talk about it. So uh, starting in... Uh, Daniel 1, right at the beginning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Balthazar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Dan- but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned signed your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test the servants for ten days. Let Let us give in vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Let's stop there. So I want to give you a little bit of background as we jump in, especially because we're going to be in this book for a little while. Uh, A little bit of background on how we got to this point in history. So God's people... um, become a nation, the nation of Israel. And Israel is led by God. They look different, they act different. They are uh, guided by the laws that God has given them and they are to be different. They are to be his people, live and act and be different than everyone else. And over time, they look around at all the other nations and they say, we want a king. We want a king like all the other countries around us. And God tells them, that's a really bad idea. That's not going to end well for you. They say, we want it anyway. And so they say, all right, so God says, fine, you want a king, you can have a king. And so they get King Saul, and it actually starts out pretty well. Saul is in line with God's will. He's following God, and God is blessing it. Uh, But eventually, he starts ignoring God. Things turn sour, um, and so the nation is in a mess. And so the next king is King David. David is the greatest king Israel has ever known. Though he is not perfect, he is the greatest king Israel has ever known. And while that's a great accolade to have, after David, there's another 400 years of bad kings, over and over again. So everything post-David is downhill. After David is Solomon. Again, starts off uh, kind of shaky, kind of poor, but ends up pretty well. He, he kind of turns toward God at the end of his life. At the end of the kingdom, after Solomon, um, after Solomon, his son takes over, and the kingdom of Israel is split into two. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. God's people are split between these two. And both, kings, both kingdoms have multiple different kings over the course of, like I said, about the next 400 some odd years. And they are different kings, some of them good, not many, but they do have some good kings. Most of them evil. Or they're a mix, where they start out good, they start out pursuing God, and then they turn and they walk away from God. Or they start off evil and then they kind of turn towards God towards the end. It's kind of a mixed bag. But over and over this happens. And this continues until the northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians in about 722 B.C. Judah, the southern kingdom, hangs on a bit longer, though they are not flourishing in those last couple hundred years. They are actually attacked three different times by the Babylonians till they are finally captured in 586 B.C. It is the Babylonians, as you heard in, chapter, in verse 1 and 2, who are taking over. This is the first of those three attacks from the Babylonians. And this happens because Israel is in rebellion. One of my favorite movies uh, of all time is Remember the Titans. It's a football movie. Uh, It's got Denzel Washington and it's fantastic. You should go check it out. Uh, It focuses on a all white high school that is integrating African-American students and the the story focuses mostly on the football team and bringing in these African-American students and players into this all white football team. So at one point in the movie, uh, Julius who's kind of the leader of the African-American players uh, and Gary, the leader of the white players have this heart-to-heart conversation, Uh, and Gary tells Julius, you have the worst attitude I've ever seen. To which Julius responds, attitude reflects leadership, Captain. And I share that, A, because I just miss sports, and I really want them back, and I'll take them wherever I can get them. But B, um, because this idea of attitude reflecting leadership is where the Israelites find themselves at this time. As God's people had these different kings, whatever king they had, he kind of set the tone for the country, for the nation. And whatever he wanted, he was going to get. So when you had these wicked, evil men, they brought with them their wicked, evil thoughts and their wicked, evil idolatry that filtered down into God's people. And so over time, as you have generation after generation under bad rule, generation after generation is falling away into idol worship. And all throughout this history, those, those chapters I had, those books I had you skip, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, those are prophets being sent from God saying, Turn away from your false idols, turn away from your idolatry, come back to God. If not, something bad's going to happen. Isaiah actually tells them a few hundred years before, he says, This is what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to take over if you don't stop doing this. They're going to take the, the artifacts, they're going to take the things from the temple, and they're going to put them in the house of worship of an idol. These things are going to happen and they come true. Isaiah's prophecies actually come true here at the time of Daniel. Over and over the prophets are sent and sometimes for a little while Israel would turn away. They would repent and they would go back toward God for a season. And then they would eventually fall into their old habits again. And sometimes they just ignore the prophet and sometimes they just kill him. But what we see happen here is God's people in rebellion. And that brings us to our book this morning. As I said, Babylon attacks the southern kingdom three different times. This is the first of those three. And verses 1 and 2, you kind of get two different views of the same account. The first is kind of history's take, right? In the third year, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's just the facts. There it is. But then verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. This is the first of the three attacks, and just so we're all clear, Jehoiakim it lands in that evil king category. He's wicked the whole way through. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is just, if not worse, than Jehoiakim. Nebuchadnezzar is cunning and smart and crafty. We'll talk more about him next week. But he's also very wicked and heartless. See, there are no winners in this story. Both sides, both kingdoms are led by evil men. Two more times, Nebuchadnezzar is going to attack and finally take over the kingdom. But did you see in verse 2 the difference between kind of the bare bones of verse 1, just the facts, In verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave the Israelites into the hand of the Babylonians. As I said, this is a story about God's control over everything all the time. God let this happen. Not only did he let this happen, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This was not bad military strategy. This was not political factions. God was at work in the affairs of the nation, and he used the nation of Babylon to judge his people for their actions and their rebellion. Babylon is a city that is known for its wickedness, known for its evil, evil in every which way. They're so evil that the name Babylon as a city just kind of over time became shorthand for wickedness. If if someone said that you have uh, a character like a Babylonian, they were basically saying you're a wicked, horrible person. Babylon is just united to the idea of wickedness. In the book of Revelation, we see Babylon used as an illustration for and mentioned in the same way as a great prideful wickedness, chaos running amok, that's Babylon. It's evil. It was a place known for its idol worship, for sexual immorality and general wickedness. And so you have the nation of uh, Israel and Judah, and even under bad kings, they're still God's people. They're still governed by the law of God. And so this country, even Judah uh, and Babylon, are are contrast to one another in every which way. In everything about the culture and ideology of these two places, they stand opposed to one another and continue to throughout history. But even though this has happened, we know God is in control because God is always in control. That means that God sometimes allows things, not because they are good, fun, or easy, but because they are a judgment discipline. The events that tra- transpire in this book, the things we're going to look at over these next few weeks, all happen because God allowed them to happen, and he is actively involved in them. God allows these things to happen, and they seem really bad, right? In verse 2, it says God allowed the Babylonians to take things from the temple, bring them back to their land, store them in their own temple of their false god, basically saying Israel We're going to do whatever we want. We're going to take this. They would take it as a trophy of sorts. And really for Babylon, for Nebuchadnezzar, to take from the opposing city's temple is a sign of not only your own political power and authority, but hey, our God is better than your God because if your God was powerful, he'd stop us in doing this, but he's not stopping us. So clearly our God is better than yours. This is Nebuchadnezzar allowing himself to pump himself up. We'll see in a little bit the, the main god of Babylon was a god named Bel. And it was this god that uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, worshipped, and this is the temple that he, their stuff would be put in. But you see, they're not done with what they're trying to do because Nebuchadnezzar was not just interested in pots and pans and candles from the temple. We see in verse 3, he's got a whole game plan here. He tells his chief eunuch, his, one of his chief officers, to go and capture some of the people, some of the royal family, some of the nobility, some of the people, and bring them back to Babylon with him. Nebuchadnezzar's plan is to take over. And like I said, he is cunning and smart. He has learned from history. Pharaoh, when the Egyptians had the Israelites as slaves, Pharaoh used brute force and brutality. But over time, that didn't last. And when Israel finally did leave, when God finally does take his people from that situation... Egypt was left without a workforce. Egypt was left almost in in tatters because they had lost all of the people that they had doing all their work. Nebuchadnezzar has a different plan. He decides he's going to try and win them over, as sorts. He's going to get them to conform to life as Babylonians, because if he can, and his idea is, if I can focus on the younger ones, if I can focus on the youth, the influential, good-looking, popular youth, that's going to spread. That's going to lean into everything else. If he can win over the younger ones, maybe it will be easier to get everyone else to join in. And so he tries to get them to let go of the things that made them God's people, that made them Israelites, and instead embrace being a Babylonian. He would take a select group, indoctrinate them, and try to brainwash them to his way of living. And so he gives his chief in command the instruction to bring the good-looking, skilled young men those who seem to have a bright future ahead of them. And when it's young men, it's probably somewhere between 16 and 18. So we're talking high school kids. So we're talking smart, talented, bright future high schoolers. Like the dude versions of our own Shannon Bailey, okay? That's who we're talking about here. And he's going to teach them literature and language. He's going to teach them the history of the Babylonians and have them study the works of the Chaldeans their own wise astrologers uh, and wizards and witchcraft and sorcery. That's what the Chaldeans were known for. But not only were they going to be taught, they were instructed and taught and instructed, but they were going to be treated special as well. You see in verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they stood before the king. See, there was a great difference between what the king's food was and what normal people were eating. We're talking Thanksgiving dinner full-on every time, every meal, versus, like, random Tuesday in February for lunch when you go into the fridge and you realize you haven't shopped in a few weeks and everything needs a smell test. Like, it's not really a meal. It's food, but it's not a meal. That's the difference between what the king's eating all the time and what the common people are eating. That's the the very stuff that he was eating, the very stuff off his table, the very stuff from his wine collection. That's what they were eating. That's what they were drinking. Because again, it says to these captives, just embrace this Babylonian lifestyle. Check out how great you get to live. Embrace the plan. It's not so bad here. He's trying to convince them Babylon is great, and maybe these young men will be future leaders and help them win over the Israelites. And we see four standouts in this group of collection. And in verse 6, their names are listed, though some of them you know better by the names they are given in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, The chief of the eunuchs gave them names, Belteshazzar, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bumblebee or a bendigo, uh, depending on what age bracket you are in. You are welcome. Um, Again, you see Nebuchadnezzar's plan here? Get the youth. Train them up, teach them, win them over with good living conditions, rename them, replace their history with yours, replace their tastes, their very culture with yours, replace their very names with yours, take their self-identity and replace it. Show them how great your way is compared and help them forget the old way. That's what culture does, right? That's what our culture is built on. Come and buy this. Come and live this way. This is the best way to live. Do it over here. Don't worry about what you're doing. Don't worry about how you were raised. Don't worry about these things. Here, we know best. We know what's best for you. Let go of anything that makes you an individual. Let go of these things that say that our culture is bad. Instead, just embrace it. Embrace it. It's so much easier. It's so much better for you. It's so comfortable. The names that these men were given are very different than the names they had because they want to help make them forget about the God of their fathers. They want to help guide these youths and so they're given names that tie into the Chaldean and Babylonian history and false idols. Daniel, his name is God is my judge. Hananiah, the grace of the Lord. Mishael, he that is the strong God. Azariah, the Lord is a help. These are names that remind them We've talked so long this year about names and the importance of names in the Old Testament. These names tie them back to their God who is faithful and just and good. And they want to be reminded and and their captives, the Babylonians, want to erase that. And so they give them names tied into their history. Beltajar signifies the keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel, their great God. Shadrach, the inspiration of the sun, which the Chaldeans worship. Meshach of the goddess who who is um, basically like Venus. Um, Abendigo, the servant of the shining fire, which they also served and worshipped fire. They give them these names and say, forget about that old life, forget about those old things you believed. This is, this is your new reality. And so how are these young men, how are these high school boys going to respond? We see them respond with resolve and humility and intentionality to stand up for what they know to be true. Right in verse 8, we see, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. That word resolve is to plant, to stand firm, not move, decided within his heart he would be steadfast. He did not want to defile himself. Again, stain, pollute himself. His refusal to eat the king's food was not a political stand or just out of disrespect. This was a deep-seated, deeply spiritually rooted issue for Daniel. And he refuses probably for a mix of a lot of different reasons. For one, the food that the king's eating is probably not kosher, right? Daniel and his guys are, are Israelites. They're holding to Jewish food laws. It's probably not kosher. There's a good chance the food was sacrificed to idols. Again, big no-no. But also to eat with someone, to share a meal with someone, was to embrace and engage that culture on a deeper level. It was to embrace and engage and really accept what that person was all about. To sit at a table, to share in this meal with someone, was to really show peace and shalom and to uh, accept, like I said, what that person's, Uh, views and culture is all about. But David had resolved not to do this. See, this was not a fleeting, spontaneous decision. This is an intentional choice. He didn't walk in for lunch one day and decide, you know what? I'm just not feeling this food today. I'm just done with it. Daniel decided right from the get-go, look, they can take my home. doesn't change where I'm from. doesn't change me being an Israelite. They can teach me their history. It's not going to make me forget about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They can change my name and call me whatever they want. I know who I am. So why take a stand on the food? If he's cool with everything else, if he allows everything else to happen, why take a stand on the food? Because it was about who he was as an Israelite. It was about who he was as a person in God's people. It was about holding on to the covenant God had made with his people where God had pulled them out of slavery and promised to care for them and love them and watch over them. And they was given a law and instruction on here's the best way to live. They were made a people. They were given laws and instructions about food and embracing and even condoning the evil that happened in Babylon. He just could bring himself to do. It wasn't just about what he wasn't, that he wasn't supposed to eat pork. For Daniel, this was a matter of obeying and disobeying God, and he took that very seriously. He didn't minimize it. He took the instruction of God and said, I'm going to stick with what God told me to do. I am going to stay steadfast, because this is what God, even as simple as I'm not going to eat that food, I'm going to hold fast to that. So he took a stand. For Daniel, at some point, you see, just because you learn the history, just because you take on their name, it doesn't make you a Babylonian. He was not going to embrace the culture. If I move to Canada and I learn the history and I take a sweet Canadian nickname, but I don't play hockey, that's not me fully embracing the culture. I'm always gonna be an outsider. Daniel refused to fully embrace the culture. He knew something had to be different because if it wasn't, maybe Nebuchadnezzar's plan would have worked. Daniel might have said, it's not so bad. It is kind of nice, right? You get a taste for the finer things in life. It's hard to go back to regular food. It's hard to go back to regular living. And that's kind of how it happens with us too, right? It's kind of how it happens with sin. You take a little bite. You take a little step. You you let a little bit in. You let a little bit of darkness in. It's okay if I watch this movie. It's okay if I watch that show. It's okay if I listen to this music. It's all right if I'm in this situation because it's just one isolated time. It's just a little bit. I'm still in control. But then you start to enjoy it. And little by little, you start to lean into that darkness. You start to lean in to what you know to be wrong. And over time, you become callous, you become hard-hearted and you start to ignore the Holy Spirit in you, you start to ignore the will of God in you and pursue your own life. For all of the Daniel's strengths, he knew if he started leaning into this, it's not going to end well. There was a chance he just becomes a Babylonian, but he refused to do that. He refused to allow himself to be sucked into the culture. Daniel doesn't even give himself the opportunity to fall into that trap. He was not going to allow himself to let the culture dictate who he was and how he was going to live. He was going to stand counter to the culture. Brothers and sisters, are you standing counter to the culture? The Bible is very clear this is not our home. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Another translation of that is, I urge you as travelers and aliens, as foreigners in this place, do not embrace it. Romans 12.2, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He tells the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians ten five, you are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Does this actually happen for you? Is that you, especially now, in this time of isolation and social distancing, what are you putting into your body? What are you putting into your mind, your very soul? Is it building you up? Is it nourishing you? Or is it just passing the time and running out the clock? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you consuming all of the time? How, and then how are you responding to those things? If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you claim to be a Christian, you believe that God is who he says he is, that he is the king in the chaos, that he is in control of all things all the time. If you truly believe, like Paul says in Romans 8, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. If you believe all of that to be true, Do you live and look any different than your neighbor, friend, brother, sister, co-worker who doesn't know Jesus? Is the way that you are doing this social distancing, isolation, stay-at-home order any different than a person who isn't a Christian? And if it hasn't, if it isn't, maybe it's time to pick up some of Daniel's resolve and make some changes, some intentional, direct changes to stop making excuses as to why it's okay that you do this just a little bit. And maybe get rid of some of that spiritual garbage you've been putting in your body and get on a little bit healthier diet. Maybe it's time for some intentional change. See, Daniel didn't just make decisions and changes and avoid these things, though. He didn't just make a stand and make a big fight about it. He did so with humility. He did so humbly. right? Look at verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. He asks for the space to not have to eat this food. He doesn't start a fight. He doesn't try and insult the king or the the leaders. He asks. He used humility because Daniel knew his place. He's a captive. No matter how nice they treat him, no matter what they call him and what they were training him to be, he's still just a captive. He's still subject to the law. He's not really a person in their eyes. And any other situation, even this question could cost Daniel his life. But because God gives him favor, he doesn't die. And we see that he asks this question, but the steward, the one that's over him, says, look, my job is to get you ready. I got three years to get you ready for your big final exam. If you go up there in front of the king looking scrawny while everyone else is full and healthy because they've been eating the king's food and you haven't, not only are you going to die, but I'm going to die too because I failed at my job. You're putting my neck on the line here, Daniel. And so Daniel asks for a test. He says, look, we got a long time. Give me 10 days. Give me 10 days to prove this to you. If things are not looking good after 10 days, then we'll stop. I'll eat the king's food. Just give me 10 days and let's see what it looks like. And note in verse 11, it says, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had aside over him, and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. At some point, Daniel convinced the other three to join in. See, it's a lot easier to stand up when you have somebody having your back. And that's the beauty of church. That's the beauty of community. Because yes, you are called to take a stand. Yes, you are called to live different. You are called to do it humbly, but you don't have to do it by yourself. You get to do it with others. It's important to be connected, to lean into one another, to stand up alongside one another, to encourage one another. Daniel didn't have to stand and fight this whole system on his own. He's got buddies with him. So in this season of isolation and disconnectedness, I know it's not the best situation. I know we'd love to get together and be together and do prayer meetings together and get to worship together physically, being together. I saw a couple of you this week face-to-face, and man, just even seeing you for a few minutes just filled me up. It was so great just in passing, just a lid, just even just for a few minutes. It was wonderful. But that's not where we're at right now. And so when we do Zoom prayer meetings, we're going to do a couple of them this weekend. On Sundays before service at 9.45 we do a Zoom meeting so we can just chat and catch up and have that reason for why we tune into the service late so we can keep some semblance of normalcy where we're starting church not on time. Jump in. I I know it's not ideal. I know it's not the way we want to be doing these things. But it's good for us to connect and encourage one another and check in on each other and remind each other that we are not doing this alone, that yes, we are socially distant, but we, our community is still strong, our community is still there. Daniel doesn't have to do this on his own because he's got his friends with him. And so the chief agrees, and it works out. We see in verse 15 and 16, at the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than any of the other youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. This is one of those passages, this is one of those books where, you know, they say when a preacher is gonna, before he preaches a message to a congregation, he's gotta preach it to himself. And I'll tell you, this week, I ate vegetables like three times. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Convicted by the Holy Spirit. And so we see it works out. They're eating vegetables and water and they look, Healthier and fatter. See, the Daniel fast does not lose weight. The Daniel fast makes you fatter, which I think is super interesting. A couple of vegetarians mess it up for everybody else because now everybody else gets taken off the king's food and put on vegetables and water because it worked out. What kind of vegetables and water are they eating where somebody gets fatter like that? This seems pretty impossible outside of God entering into the situation and watching over Daniel. And again, Daniel didn't post angry tweets and, you know, post angry Facebook messages about the situation. He's not making snide comments at dinner, he's not being disrespectful. He's all in on this and he understands the situation he finds himself in. He and the other three decide they are going to honor and submit to the one true God of all existence. But they're going to do it in a way that also honors their local authority, those who are over them. Even though they don't agree or like them, they understood the situation. See, we know who the king in the chaos is, And so we need to live in light of, we want to honor and submit to the God who is in control of all things, but that doesn't mean we just rebel against any local authority that we don't like. We can keep those things. Yes, there are times where evil, we need to stand up and call evil what it is. We also need to be able to say, we can live and we can live differently and still honor our local authority and give glory to God. And do so with all humility. And as time goes on, we see we see them grow. Pick it up in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. After three years, they get their big final exam, and no one stands out like these four. They are ten times greater than anyone else. They are the cream of the crop. And it says Daniel was there till the first year of King Cyrus. That's about 60, 65 years after he's actually taken captive. So at this point, Daniel's 70, 80, somewhere in that range. Cyrus is the one who allows the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem. That's why it's mentioned here. Think about that. Daniel, he's taken at 16, 17 years old. He's a kid, but he has an intentional plan. He has a deep-seated resolve within himself. He has a humility about himself. He knew who he was. He knew who he wanted to be. And he was able to withstand and flourish for some 70 years as a foreigner in the king's court, advising and instructing the kings. He wasn't just living. He was thriving and a blessing to the leadership because he was resolved, humble, and intentional. You don't get to stay in that position for that long by taking days off by taking moments off. He was always himself. He was always faithful to who he knew God was. Same goes for us. We are not going to see longevity. You're not going to wake up one day and say, now I am a mature Christian until you are taking day by day, step by step, intentionality. You don't get to take days and moments off. It's not, I'm going to be a Christian Sunday through Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'll see how it goes and we'll do our best and then, you know, we'll just try it again next week. In every day, in every moment, it is making the decision to glorify God with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words. The resounding phrase of this whole situation we've been living in has been day by day, one more day at a time. We're just taking one day at a time. That's what we got to do. I've said that myself. And that's what we have to do with the Christian life. The resolve and intentionality and humility is a daily moment-by-moment decision. It's not one moment, okay, I am resolved to be resolved, and that's it. It's every day choosing. No matter how delicious the food might smell, no matter how sweet the wine might be, how funny or popular that show or movie is, how angry someone's post online makes you, how much you might disagree with a certain leader, or how much you might disagree with someone who supports that leader you disagree with. It's choosing over and over again to live the way God has called us to live, to live with humility, to live in a way that points people to Christ. It's about daily choices, step by step, intentionally choosing to pursue God with humility. But living in response to a God who is not always in control all the time, there's no point in that. But thankfully, our God is in control always of everything all the time. God is faithful. All throughout this chapter, we see God at work. In verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. In verse 9, God gave favor and compassion. It wasn't Daniel on his own who had favor and compassion with his, uh, with his captor. It was God who made that happen. God moved in that relationship. In verse 15, it's God who takes care of their health and nourishment. In, God, in chapter, or verse 17, it's God who gives them all learning and skill and wisdom. God in control. God is faithful to Daniel. Daniel takes what he knows about who God is, what he learned about who God was before he left for Babylon, he takes that and says, I'm going to choose to be faithful to God I know is in control of all things all the time. And God says, you keep being faithful, Daniel. You keep doing that. You keep being you. And as you do that, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to continue to be the God you know me to be, and I'm going to watch out and take care of you. And see, this is a small window as what was not happening on the larger scale within Israel. They weren't being faithful. They weren't pursuing God. They had ignored and rebelled him and left God, and that's why Babylon shows up in judgment in the first place. But even in this mess, even in this chaos, even in the midst of stay-at-home orders and the midst of viruses spreading throughout the world, our God is the king in the chaos. He is in control of all things all the time. He is always at work, and the work he is doing is all united together. The history and existence of us is not just a bunch of individuals throughout time, just living out 80, 90, 100 years, and just a bunch of scattered pieces. It's not isolated strands of existence to God. All of this is united to him because all of this is his. All of existence is his, and it is all telling the same story, of a God who made us and knows us and loves us and is calling and redeeming things back to himself. So how are we responding? Are we responding? Do we live like we believe God is in control of all things all the time? You see, this is not, I don't want this this week nor the rest of the time we're in Daniel. I don't want this to just be a do better like Daniel did. Right? Because Daniel, just like every other person we hold up in the Bible for their faith, he's not special on his own. And he's not perfect. We can't just look at this chapter and say, be faithful like Daniel did and everything's going to work out. Because in reality, it doesn't work out. Daniel is still a captive, he's still taken captive, and he stays a captive most of his life. And while Daniel does survive and even thrive in his role, he is still a prisoner taken from his home as a teenager, stripped from his family and friends, everything was taken from him. And just because he was faithful to God, it didn't make things magically better. In fact, if, you read, if you've if you ever read the book of Daniel, you know where we're going to go. You know how the story continues. You know that still to come are fiery furnaces and dens of lions and the threat of death over and over again for just saying the wrong words. And every time these men face these situations, they do so with a faith in God, but they also realize this might be our end. Their faith in God is not changed by that, but they realize we might die here, and we're okay because we trust God. And so again, I don't want to tell you, just do better. Just be more like Daniel. Yes, Daniel is faithful, and he's consistent, and we can learn from that. But where I want us to land instead, where I think we need to be right now, is where Daniel had us singing. This Not Bible. our Daniel had us singing. This, this is going to get real confusing, real quick. Be where Daniel had us singing this morning. Be where I believe Daniel, in the Bible, his faithfulness comes from as a resolved, intentional, humble approach to the awesomeness of the king in the chaos, the God who is in control of everything all the time. Because when we keep that mentality, our faithfulness will flow out of it. When we keep our eyes fixed on God, our hearts and minds and souls will be dwelling on the goodness, righteousness, awesomeness, holiness of him. And from there, faithfulness will flow out. When we are proclaiming that God is altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful when we look at the world around us and intentionally acknowledge and worship God because we see his power throughout the universe displayed. That's where we need to be, celebrating, enjoying, resting in who God is. That's what's going to help get us through this, and that's what's going to see us grow, and that's what's going to help us grow in becoming more like him and proclaiming him to the world. When we focus on who he is and let that change and challenge and motivate us, Send out a message this week on social media what I think is helpful right now is to just share with one another how are you seeing God move in the midst of all the things we are in in these last few weeks because we need to share and celebrate those things how are you seeing God provide, how are you seeing God comfort how are you seeing just God show up in your midst post a video on social media, send me an email I'll post something for you I'll write something up for you Let's share these stories with one another. Let's share how we're seeing God show up and remind the world He is in control of all things all the time because He is in control of all things all the time. We need to share and proclaim that to one another to remind and inspire us to rest and dwell in the faithfulness of our God, the King in all of the chaos. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. And you're good all the time. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that we can rely on you, that we can lean into that. That we never have to worry about what kind of mood you in, or you're in. We never have to worry about what kind of person you are, or, or we never have to worry about whether or not you're going to hear us or whether or not you're going to show up because you promise us all of those things. You are unchanging, you are faithful, you are good. God, as we live in some chaos, we know you're in control. We know that you are for us. We know that you are going to take care of us all the time. God, help us to remember that and to trust that and believe that and live like that when it's hard to do. When we're isolated and depressed and hurting and sad and frustrated and annoyed and just go in fever crazy. God, help us to trust that you're in control of all things. Over and over throughout history, Lord, we have seen your people live through pandemics, live through suffering, live through persecution, live through hardship. And over and over again you have used them, you have used your people to shine a light, to point others to you. God, help us to see this not as a burden, but as an opportunity to be exactly what you made us to be, the lights of the world. God, you wouldn't call us to be that, you wouldn't call us to live like that if you weren't also going to empower us to do that and be that. And we thank you for that power of the Holy Spirit given to us. Lord, help us to enjoy this creation you have made. Help us to remember to stop and dwell on the goodness of the ways that we see you moving, the ways that we see you at work in the midst of all of this uncertainty. And God, give us opportunities to share that, not only with one another, to strengthen one another, but to share that with the world around us so that they might know and believe that you are who you say you are, good and holy and pure and awesome and just and right. That you are the God who would love this world so much that you would send your own son to die for us. That for anyone who would put their faith in Jesus, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, there is hope and new life. Oh God, that this morning people might come to know just how good you are. That even in the darkest, even in the most rebellious, even in, the most, in those times where sin seems like it is everywhere, always, it's not. You are in control of all things, and you have already put in motion. You have already laid the work done so that we might find hope and forgiveness in new life. Lord, we thank you. Help us to fixate on your goodness, your awesomeness. Amen.